Thank you, Brother Zach, Jerry, Stephen, and Matthew, Newell, and the rest of you participating in the worship this morning. We're so thankful. We don't need the singers of Asaph and his brethren. We're singers ourselves. Isn't that precious? We don't have to just hear someone else sing. We get to sing along with one another. Open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 for an opening passage of Scripture. For those of you listening to this sermon, I would suggest that you consider the passage of the Scripture that we already have this morning, Psalm 122, 1 Kings chapter 8, especially the last 12 verses, 2 Chronicles 30 and 2 Chronicles 35, in which passages we find gladness in serving the Lord and the great celebrations and the celebratory feasts of Solomon, of Hezekiah and Josiah and to prepare your hearts for these thoughts. I know the time, my brethren, and today will not be long. I know I say that often, but today I'll try to mean it because I want to keep your hearts light and prepared for this evening. There are so many things that have been preached in the past. A cause for mirth, exceeding magnifical, fat and happy, and other sermons like those which I reference at the end of this outline, but the Lord gave me this one about four days ago, and I thank Him for it, and maybe it was by one of His angels. An angel can operate at a level that you can't see or hear. And I've always wondered where we draw the line between the Holy Spirit of God doing it Himself, but the Bible constantly uses the servants of God to do the things that the Lord does, so much so that the angel of the Lord is called the Lord at times, because when the angel of the Lord speaks, it's really the Lord speaking through the angel of the Lord. Though there is an angel involved, and the angel is not God. And so it's, it's a wonderful thing to consider, and I hope that we're able to do that for the entirety of this day. I am thankful for where we stand after an hour together excited in the word of the Lord and in the house of the Lord and with the Lord's people and with the Lord's word and looking forward to celebrating. It is so important for us not to be waylaid by the self-righteous Pharisees that would come along and try to tell us that there's no Bible justification for what you're trying to do. I want to remind you that there's no Bible justification for Solomon having a 14-day feast instead of a seven. There's no justification for Hezekiah having a 14-day feast instead of a seven. But when you go above and beyond the call of duty and you're doing it in holiness unto the Lord, He accepts it. There was no call anywhere given, and the Lord made mention of it, for David to even think about building him a permanent dwelling place. But God was overwhelmed by David's heart and promised him incredible blessings for having such a thought. No, there wasn't a commandment for it, because the commandments are given for the average that just do their duty. And we want to be better than the average, and we want to go beyond the duty. The New Testament describes feasts of charity, and I pray tell you, tell me about the churches that even know what a feast of charity is. Tell me the churches that even have something they can misconstrue as a feast of charity. Everyone gets to eat at the same level and at the same tables tonight, because it's a feast of charity to the Lord. It's provided out of the king's substance. If you know what I mean. (laughs) 
There's, there's no David Hezekiah or Josiah here to cough up 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. It's the Lord's providing. And, oh Lord, it's so wonderful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to read Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. And with gladness, they ate their bread from house to house and they'd eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And we want to have a single heart toward the Lord. We want total peace reigning among all of us. We want to do it as unto the Lord tonight. For tonight, this whole church will have a feast of mirth to praise and worship God, as in the text I'm about to read to you. Mirth, excited joy and gladness, rejoicing pleasure, contented happiness in serving the Lord. And it's a commandment right here. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12 of Nehemiah chapter 8. You read this chapter in preparation last night, along with Second Samuel chapter 6. And so for those of you listening, you might as well turn it off again and read two more chapters. Second Samuel 6 and Nehemiah 8, so that you can be up with the rest of us. Nehemiah 8 is the greatest preaching service in the Bible. Amen. When I write you that and when I tell you that, I don't mean it's the greatest sermon in the Bible, because we don't even know the content of the sermon. If you'll listen to my words carefully, it is the greatest preaching service. Because we are told more details about this preaching service, uh, just about, than all the others combined. The greatest sermon might be the Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It might be Paul's in Acts chapter 13 in Antioch of Pisidia. But that's beside the point. I want you to see the attitude of the hearers before they start the service. I want you to see who's requesting to hear the Word of God, how they behave themselves, how they listen, how they worship. I want you to hear the manner of true preaching, and I want you to hear the response of a godly people that have been touched by the Lord by the preaching of His Word. It's all in Nehemiah 8. It's a wonderful chapter. I've preached it before. I wish I could preach it again right now, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, because it is so good. This is how the people of God ought to assemble to hear the Word of God read distinctly and the proper sense given and to understand the Word and then to celebrate such a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord for a chapter in our Bibles like this. And it is a shame that most men that graduate from seminary don't even know the chapters in the Bible as a specific preaching service. You know, there ought to be a whole class of a semester's duration in which you go through Nehemiah chapter 8 and learn every verse that's in it. You memorize the chapter and you learn everything about a proper congregational response to the Word of God and a proper minister use of the Bible. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And here, let me read to you four verses out of it, verses 9 through 12, which describe the response of the people. Their first response was like Josiah. When Josiah had the Word of God found in the renovation of the temple, he wept and was in sackcloth and ashes. And these people were weeping because they heard things read that they weren't doing as a nation, and they had heard judgments promised that they were about to receive. And they had just come back from Babylon so that they knew God's promises of judgment were very real. And yet, they are told not to mourn, not to sorrow, not to weep. They are told to celebrate and be mirthful. They are told to be joyful and glad. And that is our duty this day. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. 
Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levite stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. These ministers had to correct these people instead of just repenting and being sorrowful for their lives not measuring up to the word of God. This was a wonderful occasion that God had put in the hearts of his people to seek to hear the word of God that he had put in the hearts of Ezra and the Levites to teach the word of God and had put in the hearts of the people a wonderful responsive attitude. This day was holy and it was to be celebrated with joy, not with mourning. And I hope you can see the repetition in these four verses of stop mourning, stop weeping, stop crying, stop grieving, and get excited and be thankful because this day is holy. Look what the Lord is doing among us. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Boo-hooing and bawling about yourself perpetually is not going to give you strength and you won't get anything done. Show me a bawling man getting anything done. Yes, there's a place for self-examination and there's a place to fall before the Word of God and there's a place to get rid of laughter and to take on mourning. James chapter 4 tells us that. However, this is not the case and it's not the case for us today. Today our purpose is to joy in the Lord because it is our strength. I want the last clause of the 10th verse. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you regather Jews that have come back from Babylon, want to rebuild this place, and you want to make Jerusalem great, and the house of the Lord great, and His worship great, then we do it with joy. We don't just see our shortcomings, we confess our sins, the Lord forgives us, and we get joyful. Because it's in great joy that we have strength of soul and of purpose to do the will of God. It's joy that drives. You know, when the Lord in heaven... If at times we have put too much emphasis on the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is totally compatible with the joy of the Lord when the fear of the Lord is rightly understood, but if we have ever put too much emphasis on the negative aspects of humbling ourselves before your word, forgive us. We know that both are called for in Scripture. But today, today is for the joy of the Lord, and it's our strength. And it was going to be their strength. Because there's great strength in doing things when you're full of joy. David is the great epitome of that. As I've mentioned already this morning from Psalm 122. But what made David such a righteous, zealous zealot? Yes, I know what I just said. A zealous zealot for the cause of the God of Israel. Whether it was taking on Goliath, or whether it was pouring out the water that came from the well at Bethlehem, or whether it was gathering with all his might... A thousand thousand talents of gold? Hello? Yes. First Chronicles twenty two fourteen, if my memory serves me correctly. I have gathered with all my might before I die to pay for the house of the Lord. He won't let me build it, I'll pay for it. What makes a man like that? Because there's no man in the Bible that talks more about joy in the Lord than David. The book of Psalms is just full of it. We want to be like him. 
We want to be like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one more zealous of the glory of God than the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down His life for the joy that was set before Him in the glory of God. He told His Father to glorify Himself through Him as He went to the cross. We are so blessed. For anybody that wants to know more of our reason for having a feast of mirth, then you should read or listen to our sermon that's on our website entitled, A Cause for Mirth. David did not content himself with the duties of religion. He went far and beyond. And so we need to do as well. Think the temple. We want to do as well. Jude 1.12 describes feasts of charity, and we want to have them. We want to have them to the Lord. The Old Testament provides details for New Testament commandments. That's why the New Testament is so much shorter than the Old. Do you know that there's hardly a thing said in the New Testament about how to train your children? Where do you get the wisdom on how to train your children? Straight out of the book of Proverbs of the Old Testament. All you're told in the New Testament is this. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And don't discourage them. Don't provoke them to anger, lest they be discouraged. How do we know how to train children? We go to the book of Proverbs. How do we know how to celebrate? We go to the book of, well, it's all over the place. We can go to the book of Genesis and see Abraham and Melchizedek celebrating. When there's a Melchizedek to be found. It's a wonderful thing. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. And it was and it is a time for the latter today. The God of mercy. Do you know the Bible says? Now the God of mercy. Amen. The Bible says, now the God of hope. The Bible says, now the God of all comfort. He is also a God of joy. And we want to consider that here in the time that I have with you in this and the second assembly. It is nearly unbelievable that our great God and Father delights in and accepts our worship in such events as celebratory feasts. But he did that under the austere covenant of the Old Testament. That means severe and harsh. He did it with 10% of their gross earnings in Deuteronomy 14.26. And he looks forward to seeing feasts of charity come from his New Testament saints as well. This joy of the Lord can be holiness to the Lord and strength of soul and purpose to please God. As we get and choose to be excited and mirthful and thankful and happy in the Lord. And it is a choice. It's a choice to shake off all the things that want to pull us down, including the dark clouds outside and the rain that is falling, and choose by the eye of faith to see the glory of God and the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the fantastic salvation that we have in Him, and celebrate. It's a choice. So right now you ought to be casting off that sinful, murmuring, whining, complaining, and negative thinking that you have from the devil himself and from your flesh that's going to be destroyed, and take on the new man and put on the new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness because that new man is going to be excited and joyful Amen. today. It's going to choose to be so. We want to divide the joy of the Lord. Now the joy of the Lord is your strength. Stop your mourning, stop your grieving, and stop your crying, stop your weeping. Right. This day is holy. And holiness requires in this kind of a context celebration and mirth because it's that joy that will drive the greater praise. What kind of praise are you giving when you're weeping and bawling and self-examining yourself and repenting? Does God get glory from repentance? The angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. However, the great praise and worship of God is from a joyful heart, by joyful saints, thankful and praising Him for all He's done. Those are the sacrifices of praise that we give, the fruit of our lips to His name, praising Him. 
And that's how we want to understand these words, but we need to go on because the Lord has told me to give them to you seven different ways. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, what is the joy of the Lord? And this is what the Lord's given me to give to you. There are seven aspects or seven different definitions of the joy of the Lord that we can pull out of this verse, and I hope that it might be helpful to you in the minutes we have. First of all, the Lord's own joy in Himself. When we read, and that's not what's under consideration here, I'll grant you that, but the words, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. Is that our joy in the Lord, or is that the Lord's joy Himself? Now, it's our joy in the Lord here, because it is set in opposition to weeping, mourning, and grieving. But I want to start with the joy of the God that we worship. We worship a unique and only being in the universe, the Lord Jehovah. His name is I am that I am. And I want to tell you something that's involved in that name. Our God is happy. And he's always been happy. And he's always going to be happy. And the devil hasn't disappointed him, nor have sinners disappointed him. And your righteousness can't add to his happiness. And your wickedness can't take away from his happiness. The book of Job 35, and that's Elihu speaking, not Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar. And it is correct application of doctrine. Our God is happy. By definition of his own independent and perfect nature, God is happy. Because whatsoever he pleased, that did he in the heavens and the earth. But our God is in the heavens. He He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Do you need to see it in writing? Then look at Psalm 135 and verse 6. Or you can look at Psalm 115 and verse 3. In either place you're going to get the same doctrine. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now when you're able to do whatsoever you have pleased, guess what you're experiencing? Pleasure. Whenever you're able to do what pleases you, that's pleasure. And our Lord is full of pleasure. We love these verses. In Psalm 115, it says it this way. In verse 2, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? They wondered where the God of Israel was because Israel didn't have any idols. Can you believe it? That a demented Philistine, because they had some half-fish, half-man, Dagon in one of their temples, would think they had a God and Israel didn't have one? So the heathen, like the Philistines, would say to Israel, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He's not on some threshold where he keeps falling over when the Ark of the Covenant is put before him. 1 Samuel 4 and 5. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now, at the pace we're going, we're not going to get through these seven at all. I just want to tell you that God is happy. And He is independently happy. Listen, the devil exists because the Lord chose to create him, knowing every single thing the devil would do after he was created. There was no surprise to the Most High. He, He created the devil for his own happiness. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked devil for the day of evil. Because he's going to cast the devil into the lake of fire and the smoke of his torment is going to rise up forever and ever as incense to the throne of Almighty God that the greatest, noblest, most beautiful creature ever made short of the Lord Jesus Christ is suffering eternal torments for rebellion against him. That cell smells sweet to me. That's what the Bible teaches us. Look at Isaiah 46 and verse 10. 
Isaiah 46 and verse 10, I want you to know this about God. This idea that God is weeping in heaven and is going to spend eternity grieving over those that are in the lake of fire is totally false. It's wrong. It's not consistent with the nature of God. It's totally opposed to the Word of God. It doesn't make sense to any scheme. Because even to the Arminian scheme, as I've tried to teach you, their God knew what would happen upon the creation of mankind. And so those that end up in hell are there by His creative decree. Isaiah 46 and verse 10, Our God declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So, we want to. I just want to start off, And the Lord gave me this to give to you. The the way I want to start off with the words, the joy of the Lord is that our Lord is joyful. God is happy. He is independently and infinitely happy. His name I am that I am says it all. He exists and He acts for His own pleasure from eternity to eternity. We can't add to it or take away from it. And Job 35 is very plain about that as Elihu explains. You know what's crazy about it all? Crazy to us because it's it's the unspeakable thing. And that is that God is happy loving us. Can I show that to you with the Bible? Look at Isaiah since you're close by. 62. Isaiah chapter 62. Part of God's happiness is showing His love toward us. Now He didn't need us to make us happy. He chose to make us so He could show us His happiness and His love toward us. Isaiah 62 and verse 15. And verse 5, it'd be hard reading, verse 15. Isaiah 62, 5, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. That God rejoices over us as a man does his bride is is a wonderful declaration of Scripture. And it's not the only place. I've got more, but we don't have time. The Lord is happy. And part of His happiness is in loving us. You know, the Bible tells us that where God dwells is called heaven. It's called paradise. It's the third heaven. And there is no more tears. There's no crying. There's no sorrow. There's no death or pain there. So it's a happy place because God is there. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, He had pleasure while He was on earth, and He's full of pleasure right now. Look at Psalm 16 with me. A wonderful psalm of prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a messianic psalm. About our Lord Jesus. Psalm 16. At this first pass, I want verses 8 and 9. This is prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's quoted the New Testament so that we know it's about Him. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord. That's all caps. That is the Lord Jehovah God, His Father. I have set the Lord God, my Father, always before me. That was the object of all his affection and all of his attention and all of his zeal and diligence. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. Because God was always in the vision, always in the purpose, always in the desires and ambitions of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a glad heart and his glory rejoiced. What's his glory? His tongue. Because his heart was driving his tongue. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I start with the joy of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ had it the best of all. And the God of glory is full of joy. My flesh also shall rest in hope. And that introduces the next thought that I'm going to bring 
here in just a moment. But the Lord Jesus Christ, it tells us that when he saw that from his preaching, that the babes, the publicans and the harlots received it with joy, and the seminary trained Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes and Levites, and the chief priests rejected his doctrine, he rejoiced in spirit. He rejoiced in spirit at God's providential predestinated dealings with men. It tells us that in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. But I want to go, we have to go on. Verse 10. We're introduced to this new thought in the last part of verse 9. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Not only while I am alive is my heart glad and my glory or my tongue rejoicing, but after I am dead, there is hope for more, much more. Verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. My flesh is not going to corrupt forever. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus Christ knew this and lived by this. And I must read to you the 11th verse again. These are precious words, but if you are not Spiritually minded, they are boring words. If you are spiritually minded, this is a precious text of Scripture. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Real living is living in the joy of knowing the Lord of heaven. And we're gonna, we should be doing it here, and we will do it there. Thou wilt show me the path of life. You're gonna give me everlasting life and the right way of enjoying it to its fullest. In thy presence, is fullness of joy. Where is fullness of joy? In God's presence. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That is what heaven is about. The Lord Jesus knew that. Jesus of Nazareth had gladness and joy in God while he was on earth, and he was expecting more of the same when he got to heaven. Regardless of the devil's recorded and unrecorded temptations of the Lord Jesus, He always sought his God and rejected those temptations. Whether they were turning stones into bread when he was 40 days hungry, or whether they were all the kingdoms of the earth, he chose God instead. This holy example of joy should guide and preserve our own souls. Because wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's Hebrews 12.1, which follows upon Hebrews 11, where we're given the great stadium filled with the witnesses, the elders of the Old Testament. But we are to be looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, to the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And that's where we're going. The Lord Jesus Christ was full of joy presently. He was full of joyful prospects of what it was going to be like in heaven. And in the face of both, He was able to despise the shame of the cross. And he was able to endure its torture. Because he knew what was before him. That's what we want to be doing. How can we regain or increase this joy in the Lord? By looking to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes by reading, meditating, and musing on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And learning about him like in this 16th Psalm. Like in the first few verses of Hebrews 12. Like in Hebrews 10 where Jesus said, Lo, I come. It is written in the volume of the book of me. I come to do thy will, O God. I delight to do thy commandments. Because it's a quotation from Psalm 40 by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
His relationship with God, His purpose in life, and His hope in glory should instruct all of us. This is how we can achieve fullness of joy. This is life and the abundant life. It's knowing Christ better and being more conformed to His image. His meat and His drink was to do the will of God. That gave Him such pleasure and such peace here in His heart, from His lips, and forever in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ is happy. There's a God in heaven who is pouring out the spoils of His victory upon Him and has promoted Him over every being in the universe except Himself. The Lord Jesus Christ reigns in pleasure at the right hand of God. And we're going to reign with Him, and we are reigning with Him in a respect right now. The second aspect of the joy of the Lord. The first aspect, let's get out of the way. It's not our joy in the Lord, but it's the Lord's joy Himself. God is happy. The Lord Jesus Christ is full of joy. He's experiencing pleasures at God's right hand. The second aspect that we want is the joy of the Lord, our joy in the Lord. And it's our joy in knowing and walking with Jehovah and His Son, Jesus Christ. It is the fellowship that we have with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the second aspect of the joy of the Lord. And that is where Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12 come in. And the phrase in verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where this one is fulfilled. Our joy in knowing and walking with the Lord. That those people got up in the morning and went and besought Ezra to bring the word of God and to declare them the word of God. And they fell down their faces saying, Amen and Amen, when Ezra blessed the Most High God. Did you read it last night? Are these all familiar to you? And then they heard the word of God preached. And you know, some of those names of all those Levites might have irritated you a little bit when you were working your way through them, but they're there for a reason. Those preachers of the gospel had beautiful feet. They were reading in the book and the law of God distinctly and giving the sense and causing the people to understand the reading. And the way they responded, it was a holy day to the Lord and they were supposed to be full of joy in that God had opened their hearts. Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 tells us that the Apostle Paul had made it over into Philippi of Macedonia and they went out of the city on a Sabbath by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and sat down there and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So here's Paul and Luke and Timothy in Philippi by a riverside and there are women that go there to pray. And they spake unto the women which resorted thither. And there was a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, who heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto those things which were spoken of Paul. These people had their hearts opened before Ezra preached and after Ezra preached. And Ezra had given them the pure word of God and explained it. That was worth celebrating. It was a day of joy. It wasn't a day of sadness. And why? Because God was their God. God had revealed Himself to only one nation on earth. And that nation had been gone from Jerusalem for 70 years. Now it was back. Now it was hearing the precious Word of God again. And it was cause for great joy. Those people whose God is the Lord are a happy people. 
Turn to Psalm 144. Our joy in knowing and walking with the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes, there's a place for self-examination. And yes, the heart can be made better by sorrow rather than laughter or folly or vanity. But we're talking about joy and being thankful and happy having God as our God. Jehovah as our God. Look at verse 15 of Psalm 144. We were there not long ago. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. The joy of the Lord is having the true God of heaven as our Lord and being thankful for that. There's, there's other places that we could turn to. Look at Psalm 33 and verse 12. Psalm 33. We'll pass over the other ones that are farther away. Psalm 33 and verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. When you have the word of God read to you and you understand it and you appreciate it and you repent of it and you want to hear more of it, that's God's blessing on your life. He is drawing nigh unto you and you should be thankful. It's a holy day unto the Lord. He's doing something in His holiness to bring you to Him. And it's a time for joy and thanksgiving. Because brethren, most don't have that blessing. Most didn't have that blessing in the days of Nehemiah and most don't have that blessing in our day today. There's so many more. Here is where the text that we started with in Nehemiah 8.10 fits. The source of joy was God's preparation of their hearts and their understanding of His Word. When God visits with His presence and His blessings, we should unashamedly rejoice and do it with zeal. Daniel fasted when he was captive in Babylon because he was captive in Babylon. But Nehemiah and Ezra weren't captive in Babylon. They had been released and were back in Jerusalem hearing the word of the Lord from the Lord's ministers and it was time to rejoice. Oh, look at David, Psalm 43. It's only over a few pages. Psalm 43, the joy of the Lord. What does it mean in this second point that I'm giving you? It is the joy and the happiness, the gladness and the excitement, the mirth and the pleasure in just knowing about Jehovah and His Son, Jesus Christ. They are so incredibly, infinitely perfect in every measure. Did, did, we, did we have a sermon or two on He is altogether lovely? Amen. Because we couldn't get it done in a sermon or two. Was it three or four? Or was it 15 or 20? Because He is altogether lovely. In every measure. Do you like power and strength? Then choose it and find out from the Word of God. Do you like comfort and hope, gentleness and loving kindness? The same is true. He's infinitely perfect. Look at David. This is the joy of the Lord. Verse 3. He feels a little neglected. In verses 1 and 2 in the previous psalm, if you were to read it all together and get the context... Usually there's not a context in the Psalms because each Psalm is rather uniquely and independently conveying a particular point. But 42 and 43 go together and he's cast down and he's talking to himself, Oh my soul, why art thou cast down? And that is a good question. If you're going to be cast down for sins, it should only take a little while. How long do you think it takes God to forgive you? You say, well, you don't know how bad my sins are. Well, David got rid of adultery and murder of a heinous sort with the words, I have sinned against the Lord. Right. And the next sentence is, and the Lord hath forgiven thee. Amen. 
When you take longer than that, I'm going to tell you what you're trying to do. You're trying to make it up to God and show Him that you're really righteous. You're trying to show Him some merit for His forgiveness when really He wants you to come to Him dirty and filthy and just cast your sins at His feet and let Him forgive because they've already been washed away with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every, every, Every extra minute you take in punishing yourself is because you don't trust the fullness of the redemption and the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. Just a warning. I've known those that can't do it and they live their lives miserably. Let's be like this. Oh my soul, why art thou cast down? You shouldn't be unhappy. Verse 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. He wants to get back into Psalm 122 and with his companions go to the house of the Lord. Verse 4, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Look at what you have. God is my exceeding joy. And he wanted to get back to the altar of God where he could offer bullocks and he could offer sheep and he could offer the sacrifices of praise. This is David. This is the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because he didn't have it, he was incredibly weak in chapters 42 and 43 and he's begging God by his truth and light to lead him back to where he wanted to be where he could be productive at the altar of God. And so we're at the altar of God today. We don't have to be led back. If you're sitting in the doldrums for some reason, like the battery wouldn't start your vehicle this morning, some big reason like that, you've got to understand that David was living among the Philistines because Saul was chasing him away from his own people in the church of God. You've never had anything like that. You've got a sore throat. It's a day to be happy. I won't say what I'm thinking about your sore throat. Let's just rejoice like David and pray for the Lord to increase it. Amen. Look at chapter 21. Psalm 21. The joy of the Lord is your strength, brethren. The first thing I wanted you to know is that God is happy. And the Lord Jesus Christ was full of joy then when He was on earth. And He's full of joy now in heaven. The second thing I want you to know is that true joy comes in knowing God. Notice what David said. David had the opportunity to try more pleasures than you will ever be able to try. But David said, God was my exceeding joy. That means the joy that he got from God exceeded all other opportunities for pleasure. David had opportunities for pleasure, whether they be military, sexual, marital, family, national, whatever you would want, musical. He was the great musician of the Bible. He, he could have all those pleasures, but God was his exceeding joy. That's the joy of the Lord. And you need to make God your exceeding joy. Look at him in 21. All six verses are important because look, what, look how it starts. Psalm 21, verse 1. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice? And it's got an exclamation point because there's David being a king. He could be joying in his own kingship, but he's joying in the Lord's strength and in the Lord's salvation. God had given him his heart's desire, hadn't withholding the request of his lips, verse 2. God had preceded him, that's the meaning of prevented him, with the blessings of goodness. He had set a crown of gold on his head, he asked life and got it. His glory is great. Verse 6, for thou hast made him most blessed forever, thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. 
the countenance of God, God's smile upon you, God's favor upon you, God's presence with you, that should drive you, like it says right here in the sixth verse, you've made me most blessed. Most blessed. What does that mean? That means there's no other blessing that compares to having the presence of God. Thou hast made him exceeding glad. His gladness has exceeded any other source because God's countenance had smiled upon David. Yes, there were times in David's life where there were rain clouds. But I'm going to promise you, David just kept on bearing precious seed and he came again bringing sheaves with him. Oh, did he bring sheaves. He died a rich man. How can you give away 1,000 talents of gold? I still don't understand. You don't even want to hear the calculation. You'll say there's a typo in the Bible. A 1,000 talents of gold. It's the largest sum in the Bible that David gathered for the temple. And yet it says he died a rich man. And you know what his greatest riches were? These are his last words. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation, although he make it not to grow. It didn't include all of his family, but it included enough that it left Dave with great hope and peace on his deathbed. What riches. Forget his bank account. He was going to leave that behind to men that were going to squander it. One named Solomon, who was fearful of his son squandering it. His great riches were in knowing the Lord. And that's what's described right here. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. You know, David delighted in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He would teach us. And he will give you the desires of thine heart. Jeremiah would say, Let not the mighty man glory, and you know all that, and let the mighty man glory in his strength, or the wise man in his wisdom, or the rich in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knoweth and understandeth me. That's the source of real joy. And those people in Nehemiah chapter 8 had just heard the blessing of God by Ezra, the great God, and they had bowed to their faces to the ground, saying, Amen and Amen. Men, women, and children that could understand and they had stood in their place attentively and heard the word of God explained to them, God was close to them, and it was time for joy. And the joy of the Lord is strength. And do you know what that strength led to in Nehemiah chapter 8? The strength of that celebration of Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12, resulted in the rest of that chapter, where the next day the elders of the people came back to Ezra and said, Would you go over a few things in the word of God again? We heard mention of a feast of booths. And it needs to be kept. That's the strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what happens when you're all down in the mouth about your sins? When you hear a new commandment, you just say, well, there it goes. I just can't serve the Lord. All I am is a failure. But boy, when you're full of joy for the Lord, He brings a new commandment on you. get excited about it. And they were excited. And so did you did you read did you get bored reading pine branches and fir branches? Did you get tired of reading those words? All I was seeing was these eager beavers scurrying literally, almost literally, eager beavers scurrying around grabbing all these branches to make their booths so that they could dwell in them for seven days to keep a feast that had not been kept since Jeshua, the son of Nun. Hello? That's the captain that brought them out of Egypt. Where's my David? Where's our Solomon? Where's our Hezekiah? 
Where's our Josiah? They had great Passovers, but they forgot the Feast of Booths. But what caused them to grab a hold of that opportunity to serve the Lord? The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Oh, the joy of thankfulness for salvation. May I say it again? But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of spirit and belief in the truth. That is a huge blessing. It is the unspeakable gift, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Let me close with Habakkuk chapter 3 for this morning. Habakkuk chapter 3. Oh, these are, when I say Habakkuk 3, do you know where we're going? Do you children and youth remember a song that some of you know from the last three verses of this chapter? Habakkuk. Oh, the joy of the Lord. How could Paul and Silas be in the innermost prison, having been beaten and stripped naked, and at midnight, instead of being tired and sleeping off their wounds, they're singing and praising God? Because circumstances do not dictate true happiness. A relationship with the Lord dictates true happiness. And then you can be happy regardless of your circumstances. You can be in the innermost prison and be happier than anyone walking down Main Street with arm candy going to an expensive restaurant in Philippi. Habakkuk. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, I am going to read to you six descriptive clauses of economic failure, financial ruin. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. <laughs> that is ruin. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. How can He be the God of your salvation when you're financially ruined? Because He has saved every other part of my life. And I am hoping in the Lord that I shall yet see His goodness in the land of the living in this matter. Because we never give up on hope in the Lord. And we never give up hope in the God of hope. And we never give up hope in the God that loves us and will provide for us. Yet I will, yet in spite of, regardless of what I just read to you in verse 17, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And I hope that this text explains to you Nehemiah 8.10, the last clause. The Lord God is my strength. And the more I know Him and the clearer I see Him and the more I'm trusting in Him, my circumstances don't matter because I have Him. And if I have Him, I have all the power and all the strength and all the salvation in the universe. The Lord God is my strength and He will make my feet like hinds feet. That's a female deer. 
And He will make me to walk upon mine high places. He's going to exalt me. He's going to lift me up. And He's going to put lightness in my step. Because He's going to put joy in my heart. Because the Lord is my strength. And the Lord is my joy. And I will rejoice in Him regardless of my circumstances. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Put that baby to music is what it says. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. What a wonderful statement. Is that true? No matter what happens, we have the Lord. Right. Do you know what Jesus would say? He would say, When you're persecuted for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Right. You've still got me. And you're, you're able to suffer for my sake? I suffered for your sake. That puts you in good company. And in fact, Philippians 1 and 2 Thessalonians 1 says, It is a token of your salvation. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How can you regain or increase this joy in the Lord? Confess your sins of neglecting and not being thankful for a relationship with Jehovah God of heaven and be happy. Confess your sin and be happy. Eliphaz told Job, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace and thereby... Good shall come unto thee. In Job 22, David went into the sanctuary in Psalm 63 and found out that everything was wonderful as he got to hear about the Lord again. Asaph did the same thing in the sanctuary, totally corrected his perspective so that he knew, I have no one in heaven or on earth besides the Lord. My heart faileth, but the Lord is the strength of my heart and of my life. We need to take the time. The Bible says, Be still. And know that I am God. Is your life too busy? Is your life too noisy? Are you filling up all the extra time with garbage noise? Be still and know that I am God. A few minutes of quietness, thinking upon God, your joy will rise like mercury in a thermometer over a fire. And we can benefit by being around other spiritually minded worshipers who love to make their boast in the Lord when we hear it causes gladness in our hearts. And that's why we're doing this together as a church, everything that we do today. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.